Welcome to the Cheryl Broderson Podcast, encouraging and equipping you through the study of God's Word. This is a podcast taken from the Joyful Life Bible Study at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. So I have a question that I'm going to start out with today. Do you long to be bold? Like, do you long to be bold? I'm not talking about being brash or aggressive or insistent on your rights, but do you wish that you were, like, bolder when it comes to, like, somebody that's hurting? Do you ever, like, huh? I want to go up to them and I want to say, do you need prayer or do you need someone to talk to? But you, you kind of draw back and you're scared and you're thinking, oh, what will they think of me? You know, how do I do this? I'm talking, when I talk about boldness, I'm talking about a holy boldness. It's that boldness that we can only know when we're walking with Jesus. It's the holy boldness to speak the word of the Lord and to be used by God to warn others. Do do you have that? You know, how many times have I been on a plane and the Lord just opens up the door and the person just just asks me something out of the blue and you're just like, this is the moment I'm going in. And it's just like, whoa. I mean, I've had those moments where I just feel the spirit come upon me and I know that I can't say anything wrong. And then I've had the other times like, did you go go to church? I mean, it's like everything I could do and I'm shaking and I'm like, Lord, I'm so, um, can we fix that at all? Lord, I, I don't wanna be like this. I wanna be so bold for you in the best way, in a holy boldness, which is a a love and a concern, but I want to be bold. As the culture around us gets darker, do you long to shine brighter for Jesus? To to be able to buy up the moments, as Paul said, redeeming the time, because the days are dark. Have you ever surprised yourself? I mean, that holy boldness just came upon you when you weren't expecting it? Ever have that? I remember Brian was buying a car in England. I was with him. And the salesman started mocking him and making fun of him because on his passport, it says missionary. And they start, oh, missionary. (laughs) You know, and they're just doing these little side comments. We're England. Who needs a missionary? And something about that, I don't know. And I looked at the guy and I said, do you go to church? He's like, what, 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 what? And I said, you know, where are you at with Jesus? What do you think about Jesus? Well, well uh, you know, I, 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 I believe. I said, you believe? What are you doing about that? <laughs> I said, see, we're here for people like you. <laughs> and I remember Brian was like, wow, I've never seen this side of Cheryl. He was so impressed. But there have been other moments like that, and I'll tell you something, I am 99.9% an introvert. I mean, my favorite thing is to read a book and be alone on the beach with my dog, or just, you know, sometimes I don't even want to be around Brian. It's like, just be alone. I, I'm an introvert. I'd rather not be seen. I'd rather not be controversial, of course. I mean, I would run and and just spend the rest of my life just hiding. 
That's, that's the way of Cheryl. But when the Lord anoints you with this holy boldness, there's nothing that you can do to resist. And what the world needs today is women who have holy boldness, holy boldness. Now, I think about Elijah, and we know very little about his background as you've studied our passage. There's nothing about him physically. You know, was he rotund? Was he skinny? Was he tall? Was he short? Was he red-haired? Did he have brown hair? You know, what about Elijah? We know a little bit about Elisha. Uh, Later we'll come to that, but we don't know much about Elijah, except he was from Gilead, which is the northeastern border of Israel, the territory of Manasseh. Um, It's part of the area that was settled on the other side, the eastern side of the Jordan. And Tish, he was a Tishbite, probably like whatever that means, but he was probably from a small settlement in Gilead, which was called Tish. We're not told about his family background. We know nothing about his mother, his father, his cousins. There's nobody famous that we know of in his family. It's, you know, I've had more people that will introduce and say, you know, I'm so-and-so's cousin, or I'm the brother of, or I'm the sister, or I'm the daughter of. There's none of that here. It's just, I'm Elijah, the Tishbite. I mean, there's nothing more. And he comes onto the scene suddenly without introduction. And he only speaks out because of a holy boldness. He speaks to power to the most wicked king in the history of Israel unabashedly and courageously. Now, you need to, for a moment, just know how wicked Ahab was. He led Israel in open rebellion against Yahweh. He sought to turn the people of Israel against God and bring them into idolatry to the God Baal. He married a wicked woman, and her name is just an infamy, Jezebel. Even if you're not a Christian, you've heard of Jezebel. And not, I'm not talking about the Betty Davis movie. You've heard about Jezebel. Ahab had no constraint when it came to wickedness. He openly forced the people, led the people away from worship of Adonai. He allowed his wife to hunt, to kill, and try to exterminate all the prophets of God in Israel. He allowed her to, to do this. He coveted, he stole, He built altars for Baal in the land that God owned and had given to Israel, that God had leased to Israel. Whereas Abraham had built altars for Yahweh and claimed the land for Yahweh, Ahab was giving away Yahweh's land to Baal and claiming Yahweh's land for Baal. He and his wife dined every single night with the prophets of Baal. And while they were trying to annihilate the prophets of Yahweh, they had raised the status of the prophets of Baal to a privileged class. In other words, if if you want advancement, if you want to visit the king and queen and be part of the aristocracy, 
you, you've got to believe in Baal. You've got to serve Baal. Ahab was also the son of a military captain who had overthrown, overthrown his rival to become the king of Israel. So Ahab is from a violent family, a family that has been raised with violence and used violence to get what they want. It's also a time of great upheaval in Israel. Two kings previous to Ahab's father, Omri, had been assassinated. The people were religiously confused. The first king of Israel, after the split of Israel and Judah, told them to worship a calf and set up shrines in Bethel and Dan to this calf. Before the split, the house of David and Israel had worshiped Yahweh alone. Now their king, the one with the army of Israel behind him, the most powerful man in the land, was setting up temples and altars to Baal, the god of the Sidonians, all over Israel. This was a time when it was dangerous to be a servant of God. Crazy, just crazy times. Dangerous in God's own country to be a prophet of Yahweh. It's to this king and this time of darkness, absolute darkness where it seems like there's no turning back. This is the way Israel is going. That God raises up Elijah and he confronts Ahab and says, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew or rain these years except when you hear from me again. Till you see me again, there is not gonna be any rain. What a pronouncement. This is not a safe king. This is not a safe word. In any other context, this would be sheer suicide to do this before someone like Ahab. I, I put in my notes, don't try this without God. You just don't do something like this. Elijah declared before Ahab that the God of Israel lived before the living God, the God who's alive, not a statue, not a stone, as the psalmist said, not a stone that has eyes but cannot see, ears but it cannot hear, mouth but it cannot speak, arms but they cannot move. This is the living God. And Yahweh owns all the rights to his land. Elijah is declaring that Ahab will have to deal now directly with the God of Israel. There will be no rain, no dew, absolute deadly dryness. This is disaster for the people of Israel. They're an agricultural country. No water meant no harvest, no way to sustain livestock or people. But always considered the God of fertility and agriculture. The people thought Baal brought rain. So when Elijah is making this declaration to the king, he's actually saying, the living God is declaring war against Baal. 
This is a declaration of war. He's come on behalf of the living God, and the living God has just said, I'm taking Baal down. I'm going to show that Baal is absolutely powerless, totally impotent, and I am going to show the essentiality of serving me, Yahweh, if you want to survive in the land that I own. Then we're told that the word of the Lord came to Elijah, get away from here, turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. This word is specific. This word is directional. This word is unexpected and this word is ridiculous. Cherith was in the region of Gilead. It was believed to be a wadi. You know what a wadi is? A wadi is a stream that is only flowing when there's rain. <laughs> what did Elijah just say? There's not going to be any rain. There's not going to be any dew. This, this is sheer madness to go and sit by this brook that is sure to drive up. And wouldn't Gilead the area that Elijah came from be the very place that Ahab would look for Elijah? I mean, think about it. I mean, the first place the police look for a criminal is their home, their parents' home. And wouldn't Elijah be recognized in Gilead? Of all places for God to send him and hiding by a seasonal brook, how would that sustain a prophet while everything is drying up? This word is so unusual. God would use the ravens, scavenger birds, unclean according to the law of Moses, to bring the prophet his breakfast and dinner. Not just any food, but the prophet would have both bread and meat by the way of ravens. Ravens. And what we see in Elijah is this holy boldness. Holy boldness, not only to present himself before an evil ruler, to speak the word of Yahweh, but holy boldness to act on the word of the Lord. What is the source of such holy boldness? I believe that it is in, Isaac, in Elijah's self-identification when he says, I stand before the living God. Standing before the living God gives us an awareness of his presence. You know, there's something about having the presence of the Lord with you, just knowing he's here. It's going to be all right. I remember years ago living in Vista, and Brian was on a fishing trip with all these uh, men in our church, and one of the men's wives suddenly passed away. And everyone, because all the leadership of the church was fishing, they were looking to me for leadership. And she was a very dear, close friend. And somebody had to tell her boys, her two little boys. Somebody had to tell her daughter. And so they wanted me to do it. 
and we were trying to get in touch with the men. I mean, it was the days when one person usually had a cell phone, one out of 10, and we knew they had a cell phone, and we kept calling it, and we couldn't get in touch, and you don't really want to tell a man over the phone, your wife just died. And finally, we got in touch with Brian, but I remember just holding all that weight on my shoulders, just like I didn't cry, I was in control, this is what we'll do, we'll do this, we'll do that. I went in a room with Sarah, and I, I was able to share with her that her mom had died, one of the hardest things I ever did in my entire life, just hold her as she sobbed, talked to the little boys with their sister there. And I remember I just held it together. I didn't shed a tear, I was just, I'm sorry. The minute I saw Brian drive into the parking lot, I fell apart. <laughs> you know, it was just like, he's here. Now I can be myself. And I can just give it all over to Brian. When we're in the presence of the Lord, you just give everything to him. There's just this certain assurance and security when you're in the presence of the Lord. In Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, it says the Lord is, he has promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that we may boldly proclaim, the Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? That's holy boldness. When you're aware of the presence of the Lord. And secondly, when we're in the presence of the Lord, there's a certain awe. There's a certain reverence. There's the fear of God. You're realizing you're bigger than I realized. See, I believe that God humbles himself in order to reach us and meet us because if we recognize how big, how great, how strong he is, we would be shaking, we'd never get close, we'd be so intimidated. So God humbles himself. He shows us only a little bit of his power. Jesus had said, if I, with the finger of God, cast out demons, it only took the finger of God to cast out demons. Just the finger of God. God is so great. And when you begin to stand in his presence, you begin to be in awe. Who is this God that I serve? Who is this God that wants to be my father? Who is this God? And, and fear, fear of man begins to just drain from our bodies as we're so in awe of the great God and father we serve. We begin to trust his wisdom, his veracity, his power when we stand before the living God. Also, what happens when we stand before the living God? We begin to take on his attributes. We begin to become like our Father. According to 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we behold the glory of God, as if looking in a mirror, we are being transformed from glory 
to glory as we are in the presence of the Lord when we're standing before. So how do we cultivate holy boldness? Well, it's a byproduct of standing in the presence of God. So how do we do that practically? We pray. We constantly talk to God. We start an open dialogue with God. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Now, I don't, I don't mean those formalized pray, prayers. Oh, thou that dwelleth in heaveneth, we cometh to theeth. No, I mean, like, Lord, you know, today I was having some depressing thoughts. And I was like, Lord, I don't know if this is me or if it's the antibiotics or if it's my infection or if it's satanic. I don't know, but I don't like these thoughts. And I'm not going to try to discern where they're coming from. I'm just asking you to break through. Because I love you and I know you. And I don't even want these thoughts. They're foreign to me. I don't like them. We talk honestly to the Lord constantly. We turn even our thoughts into prayer. In Philippians 4, 8 and 9, it talks about whatsoever things are pure and holy, the way our mind, the things that we're supposed to think about. And when it comes down to it, it's just like, who fits all that criteria? Jesus. You know, that's like it, right? But as we think about these lovely things, the promise in Philippians 4, 9 is that the God of peace will be with you. Before in Philippians um, 4, 6, it tells us as we give him our anxieties, the peace of God will overwhelm us and guard us that peace that surpasses understanding. But now, as we turn our thoughts into prayer, what happens? What happens is that the God of peace comes in. We're in his presence. He draws us in. We place ourselves under the authority of God's word. You know, we can all read the Bible, but unless we place ourselves under the authority of God's word and say, I might not agree with this, but you're God and I'm not. So I'm coming under the authority of what you say, not my own authority, but the authority of God's word, which makes God's word is our priority. God's word is our placement and God's word is our direction. Have you ever thought about this? If Elijah hadn't followed God's directives, then he would not have been sustained during the drought. The ravens wouldn't have fed him. It was the specific place that God led him to that he might have the feeding and the water and be sustained. There's a, there's a specific place. And Elijah could only get to that place if he listened and obeyed the word of the Lord. Had he not obeyed that word, he would not have been hidden. So holy boldness comes when we choose to not only preach the word of God, but we choose to practice it. It's God's word that gives us the authority. I remember years ago being in a class in, um, in high school and just saying, the teacher, I've told you this story before, he's saying, you know, 
Uh, we were reading Theodore Rothke about how when we die, we'll become kind of like the essence of the air. We might be the flutter in the wing of a butterfly, you know. We'll be compost, in other words, and won't that be wonderful? And I remember just like, nope. And he's like, what do you mean, nope, Cheryl? Because he said to the class, you know, what do you think about this? It's after lunch, so everyone's like going, huh? okay. You know, they're all just like, and I'm like, I'm not okay with this. And he's like, what do you mean you're not okay with this? I said, I, I believe that when you die, I'm going to go to heaven. I've got too much personality just to be compost. And I believe that God put a lot of effort in me and a lot of work in all of us. And he wants us all in heaven. And I remember this one young man was like, you're so narrow-minded, blah, blah, blah. The whole class erupted. And all these, you know, it sounded like the whole class was against me. I, I didn't even know. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, I believe in heaven. And they're, you know, again, they begin to attack me. And I said, don't attack me. I'm only telling you what the Bible says. And I believe the Bible. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the light. I didn't say that. I wouldn't say that. But Jesus said it, and I believe it. So all I'm doing is believing what somebody else said, who happens to be the son of God. After class, I remember two of the girls said, we believe like you. Thank you. Thank you for saying something. You're like, okay, good. Yay. Because you know, I was just like, I want to go die. I want to go find a brook cherith. I want to live off raven food. I just don't want to see these high school kids again. And these two girls came to me. Not only that, the boy who was the worst to me wrote in my yearbook, our senior year, two years later, I don't really believe that when you die, you die. I've come to believe what you believe. And not only that, no, it gets better. That man, Mr. Tagami, who was my teacher, he's now in the presence of the Lord. Because years later, he found out he had cancer, and he gave his life to Jesus. And he told a young woman I knew um, who was working at the school at the time, and by this time I'm in my 40s. He said, I'm dying of cancer. And he, she said something like, she went to Calvary Chapel, he goes, do you know Cheryl Broderson? And, uh, Cheryl Smith. And she goes, yeah, I actually lived with her in England for a time. He's like, what? He said, will you tell her that I'm a Christian, that I never forgot what she said in that class? And he became a Christian because you know what? Everybody needs the hope of heaven. That holy boldness is what God wants to do. It's not my word. I wasn't speaking on the authority of Cheryl's word. I had no choice in the matter. It's God's word. When we cultivate the presence of God, we receive that holy boldness. We speak and act on the word of God. We receive the revelation. We can hear God speaking. He makes the word come alive. We receive that divine direction, that divine protection, that divine and unexpected provision. And unless we cultivate the presence of God by prayer and by being under the authority of God's word, we will never, ever have holy boldness, authority in his word, divine guidance, unexpected provision, sustenance, and God's protection. Holy boldness allows us to stand out for Jesus in the very dark time and dark places that we live. We need a whole world saved. We can't just say, I'm out of here. Sorry about your future. 
We need that holy boldness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that holy boldness is possible. Lord, here's Elijah. He's obscure. He's a tishbite, whatever that is. And yet, Lord, you took this man out of obscurity and you gave him a word. And Father, we know that he was a man of prayer and you spoke to him and you gave him that holy boldness to go before a king and to make a ridiculous proclamation, but a proclamation that you would uphold. Lord, you used this obscure man and then you protected your servant. You sustained him. Father, we need to know, we need to know the power of holy boldness. I pray that, Father, this year we would all be drawn into your presence in a deeper, more significant way, that, Father, we would behold you, that we would know your presence, that we would know your power, and we would know the authority of your word. We ask this, bless the groups now in Jesus' name. Amen.